Day 51 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Welcome back, friends. It's another day to call us to holiness, and we are excited for it because I would rather God be telling me how to be holy than just letting us do our own thing and figuring it out on our own. So we're excited. We are in Leviticus chapters 22 through 23 today. So I hope you're excited to get into God's word. And if you are, could you please hit that like button, letting us know that you are ready for this and you are seeing the transformative work of being in his word every single day. If you are new here to this Bible study, we welcome you. We hope, of course, that you will stay to the end. I encourage you to go back to the beginning if you are wanting to get a good in-depth study of God's Word because it just builds and builds and builds upon the foundation from day one. And so that is always my recommendation. Don't ever feel like you are behind or that you need to catch up or anything like that because people are starting on day one every single day. And so we definitely encourage you to do that if that is your jam. Otherwise, you can stay here with us as well and just continue for those of you who might have a solid foundation of the Bible already. But if you have any questions, you can always check out our show notes or the description box, or you can go to our website, heartdive.org. We actually have an FAQ section there of frequently asked questions. And that even includes things like, what's her Bible color coding system? There is none. FYI. We are reading from the ESV translation by Crossway today, but before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day and another call to holiness. We're excited, Lord, to be able to hear your voice, to hear your word, to see how what you spoke to the Israelites translates to our lives today. We thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect sacrifice once again, for atoning for our sins, and thank you, Lord, that we do not have to live up to a perfect standard. However, we still want to live our best life for you and honoring you and showing you reverence. And so I just pray that you will guide us today in that. We open up our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, and say to you, have your way. Forgive us of our sins. We just pray that you will please help us to deal with anything that might be hindering us from being able to come in complete, honest, sincere worship before you. We do not want to be disqualified, Lord. We want to be able to come here without a guilty conscience. We want to have a clear mind, a pure heart, clean hands. And so I just pray that you will show us what we might need to make clean. It isn't a requirement to be able to be with you and to hear from you and to love you and to speak with you. But we also know, Lord, that the fullness of your revelation will not be received if we have stuff that is blocking its way. So we plead the blood of Jesus over every area of our lives today. Help us to also forgive others, Lord, to set others free, but mostly to set ourselves free from any bondage we might be holding ourselves under with bitterness or unforgiveness. And I just pray that you will help us to love everyone with your love, that we will be able to see them through your eyes. I don't believe that there is a hierarchy in the way that you love people. You love us all. And so I just pray, God, you will increase our capacity to be able to love other people. We love you so much and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we left off yesterday with the Lord telling the priests how they are to approach him in worship. And so it continues here in chapter 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, so meaning the priests, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. So this term abstain from holy things actually can be translated to treat with respect. So, so his sons treat with respect the holy things of the people of Israel. That can be a little bit confusing because you're like, wait a minute, he's not supposed to go near the holy things. I thought that's his job. I am the Lord. 
Say to them, if any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. So what does he mean by that? We have heard that being cut off from the people means either being killed or excommunicated or sent away, but this being cut off from the presence actually just means the removal from ministry. And typically, it's when a priest is unclean, and we will see standards for that. And usually it is until evening. There's usually a time frame on that. But the general gist of this is that sin will create a separation from the ability to minister, exactly what we were just praying about earlier. And we are a royal priesthood, so we too need to handle the holy things of our lives well. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. So our ability to be able to receive nourishment from the word, to be able to eat of the word, again, will be hindered if we too are coming with an unclean spirit. It doesn't mean we won't learn anything, and it doesn't mean that God won't speak to you. But what I'm saying is there is an ability to grow even more whenever we are pure in our hearts. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has had an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy thing things unless he has bathed his body in water. Now, when the sun goes down, so of course, the sun going down in the Jewish calendar means the beginning of a new day. That's where the new mercies are. He shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts and so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Verse 10, a lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. So any of the offerings, once again, belong to the priest and his family and should not be given to anybody else. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. So a slave who comes in, gets adopted into the family can eat, but a daughter who goes off and marries somebody who is not a priest no longer can partake in the food. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food, yet no layperson shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, so I don't know how that would look, trying to figure out how you would just accidentally walk by the burnt offering and pick a piece off unintentionally, but... I guess it happened. He shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. So that means he must pay that ram plus restitution plus 20%. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord. And so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Verse 17, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners, meaning the resident aliens, if they accepted God as their God in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything 
that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. So AKA you must bring your best. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. Now, of course, we know that no offering was ever perfect, and therefore Jesus needed to come because he's the only one who was perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Now, why perfection? Well, the reason why the animals had to be near perfect is because anything less didn't represent God's holiness. It pointed to the coming of the perfect and spotless sacrifice of Jesus. And because of what he did, we are not held under this standard of perfection anymore. So we can all exhale a little bit of relief and we can come as we are. However, we should still bring the best of who we are because he is no less deserving today than he was back then. And as part of a royal priesthood, we still handle holy things and we should treat them that way. And so what does that look like? Well, worship isn't always heads bowed, eyes closed, hands lifted in the air like some people think. Worship is bringing our offerings through obedience to what God has spoken or what He has commanded. It is through our daily responsibilities. It is in the way that we love and treat people. And the best part of our day should be the time that we use for prayer or Bible study. We should be honoring others with the best of our kindness and love. When a lot of the times we come home from work and our kids and our family, they get the worst of us. And the best part of our energy should be used to steward what He has given us. And I remind myself of that every day when I look at my dirty and cluttered desk over here and think, man, I am not giving my best to steward what I have. So heart check, do you put forth your best effort each day when you worship? How about when you carry out your daily tasks or when you interact with people? Now, if your blood is curdling a little bit because you're sitting there thinking, Kanoa, you're teaching that we have to be saved by works and not grace. Reminder, <laughs> we are not saved by bringing our best, okay? We are saved by grace, of course, through faith in Jesus. So these heart checks should never make you feel as though you are failing at anything or less loved if you aren't doing them. You still are saved. However, these heart checks are intended to make us check ourselves and see how we can be better so that we can build our relationship with Christ, because relationships take work, and that includes our relationship with God. You know, sometimes we can take His grace for granted, and guess what happens to marriages where the spouse takes the other for granted? I mean, I've done that both in my marriage and my relationship with Christ. I thought at one time I was so covered by the blood so I could just live however I wanted, and I'll be forgiven at the end of the day, until it almost ruined my life. So until I take my last breath, I will keep challenging myself and everybody else to be and do better. Because I tell you, the fact that I am trying to be better today, it is the best life that I have ever lived. And I want that for you too. Verse 22, animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, so castrated, 
you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. So again, they needed to be spotless. They needed to not have blemishes. And so when we look at our lives as a living sacrifice, these things still apply to us on the spiritual level. For instance, we shall not be a living sacrifice that is blind. Our eyes need to be wide open to the things of God. We need not be disabled, but whole and complete. We need to not be diseased, meaning full of sin, but doing our best to live a life that is pure. We need to be ready and willing to serve, not having a limb that is too short or the inability to be able to reach out and serve others. No crushed testes. Well, even for us women, this means the ability to reproduce what we are doing. So we are going out there and we are building the kingdom for God. We are trying to testify and speak to the nations and make disciples so that we can bring people into the family of God. And our sacrifice shall not come from a foreigner, or in other words, we are of Jesus. We do not sacrifice or offer any kind of worship to anyone else but God. So they could not stand before God without being clean. And we thank God for Jesus who presents us as clean and righteous before the Father because of what he has done for us. Verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So this offering of thanksgiving, why eaten in the same day? Well, it's just like our hearts. Whenever we have something to be grateful for, we should be thankful for it in that moment. Because what can happen is we will begin to, over time, rationalize what might have happened, or we will downplay or explain away the blessing. But when we give God thanks right there in that moment, that is the moment that we're going to remember that God did this and we were thankful for it. By being grateful and thankful and praising God for all of the things that he has done, it fights off the enemy. And the reason why is because it is going to be like nails on a chalkboard or like when you scrape a plate with your fork, you know, that feeling that just, ooh, that's what it's going to do to the enemy. Because whenever we praise God, it's going to remind the enemy of where he once was. Because remember, he was once in heaven. He was once praising God. He was once called beautiful. He was once up there singing praises. And when he is reminded of that, it's going to cause him to shake in his boots. This is one of the ways that we can resist the enemy. The best way, of course, is knowing the word, but the second way is through worship and through praise. That is how they fought off the enemy battles in the Bible. Their front lines, they would put the worshipers out there, and we'll read about that later. Verse 31, so you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord, and you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. So apparently this is the first place in the Bible that we see in one breath, God declaring who he is, declaring what his name is, saying what he is going to do, 
and also what he has done. And feel free to correct me in that if I am wrong, but I thought that was interesting whenever I read that. But nevertheless, the whole point is, is that I thought to myself, would I have the answer if someone asked me, who is God to you? Would I have an answer if these were posed as questions? So heart check. Can you answer in one breath, who is God? What is his name? What is he doing? And what has he done for you? I mean, that's our testimony, really. That should be something that we always have ready as an answer. So now we're moving out of the priestly guidelines and moving into the feasts of the Lord, which are for all of the people of Israel. And these feasts were intended for commemoration and expectation, but they also have a prophetic message to them. And we'll take a look at that. Verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, meaning appointed times that he is setting up, that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Now, holy convocations actually means sacred assembly. So it's a gathering of people together. Six days shall work be done. Oh, here we go again, talking about that Sabbath. Well, let's not. Let's talk about work here for a moment. Most of the time, whenever we think about work, we think of that thing that we have to do in order to get paid. But maybe we can see a little bit different whenever we remember that work is not a curse that has been placed on mankind, but it was a gift from the beginning of time that God gave even before the fall. Adam and Eve were called to work in the garden. God worked six days. So working is actually one of the ways that we can bear the image of God. So heart check, how do you view work? Is it something you have to do or something you have been gifted to do? So again, continuing six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So Sabbath is not only a day of worship, but it also continues in your home. And I know sometimes we will go to church either on Saturday or Sunday, but we'll come back home and it is anything but rest. So it should continue in the home. Now, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. So remember what the Passover is, this happening mid-March or mid-April in the first month, according to the Jewish calendar. And the Passover would happen and the Feast of Unleavened Bread would happen right after that. So the Passover is in celebration of what happened in Exodus 12, whenever God brought down the 10th plague upon Egypt and all of the people of Israel put blood on their doorposts so that that would be the marker for God to pass over as he took the firstborn of all of the families of Egypt. And so this was a time for them to remember that night of his deliverance. And so then in verse six, on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days, you shall eat unleavened bread. So remember the purpose of the leaven is for the bread to rise. And the reason why they celebrate this feast of unleavened bread is because that night of the Passover, they didn't have time for their bread to rise, for the leaven to do its work. They had to get out of Egypt after the Lord passed over their homes. And so that was the whole purpose of having this unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So what is ordinary work? That would be work that could have been put off for a couple of days. So they could do emergency work. They could tend to things that needed to be 
be tended to, but this was work that didn't need that immediate attention. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So these seven days of celebration were sandwiched between two days of holy convocation or celebration. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest. Now I'm going to stop here before I turn the page because notice that the Lord does not say if you come into the land. He says when you come into the land. And this was a saying that my husband and I have always said from the day when we first got married because our dream was to live on the water. And so every weekend we would drive to this marina that is on the island where we once lived in Hawaii. And we would just sit there with our plate lunch or our coffee and we would declare it isn't if it's when. It was a lofty goal at the time, but we truly believe that God would make a way if we were obedient and if we worked to be able to meet Him halfway. And it took us three years to get there, but we eventually got keys to a little townhouse on the water. And we still declare this over our lives, trusting in the promise of God. This is the kind of faith that we should have. It isn't if, but when. So heart check, does your faith say if or when? So notice this is a future feast because they have not reached that land yet. You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So this sheaf of the first fruits would have been bundle of the first harvested barley, which would be a special offering unto the Lord. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. So he's going to lift it up before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah, meaning two times the amount of the morning and the evening offering. So this would be about four pounds of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma and the drink offering with it shall be of wine a fourth of a hen. So a fourth of a hen is about one quart. And wine, by the way, was the third major agricultural product along with grain and oil. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh until the same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So before they could eat, they needed to bring their offering first. Now, in the culture I grew up in, you never show up to eat at someone's house empty handed. Even if they tell you not to bring anything, you're going to at least stop and get some dessert. And whenever we first get saved, it's usually because we are at the end of ourselves or we are seeking more in this life or we're in desperate need of something. And the Lord never shuts the door on us. He welcomes us in, empty-handed or not. But once we begin to walk with Him and we understand what true worship is, we know that coming into His presence is more than just coming to get something from Him. We now bring something to the table, not out of obligation or demand from God, but because we begin to see what true worship is. It is an act of giving of ourselves to our holy God. So heart check. Are you bringing an offering before you partake in the meal of fellowship? Are you giving thanks and praise before asking for your wants and needs? 
And now in verse 15, we learn about the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Ingathering, or later on, it will be called the Pentecost, which literally means 50th day. So you shall count seven full weeks, so seven times seven, 49, so on the 50th day, from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven, as the first fruits to the Lord. So this would be the first fruits of the wheat. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old, without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest, there it is again. So, when you are blessed of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So he is saying, I'm going to bless you so that you can then turn around and be a blessing. So you can be generous. Now, between this time, there will be a three-month gap before we see the Feast of Trumpets. Now, this is the first mention of the Feast of Trumpets, this happening mid-September. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So a memorial will be a day to be able to remember his goodness. And trumpets in the Bible, especially at this time, were typically made of a ram's horn and they were used for either solemn, joyful, or urgent situations. And so this one would be for that solemn rest. And basically when they hear that trumpet sound, it says, stop working. Verse 26, the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. So we already learned about the Day of Atonement, but God never named it. So here we see the name. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now on the 10th day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you at a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that day, for it is a Day of Atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. So this was a day to humbly recognize all all of the sin, it was to look within and then to be able to come and confess, knowing that atonement would be made for their sins. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from the people. So if you don't come in true repentance, you will be cut off. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourself. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. And now we continue with the Feast of Booths, which is a joyous eight-day celebration of God's provision in the wilderness. And it was a time for them to be able to renew their commitment to God, and it involved the whole family. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days, is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And for seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. And all I kept thinking was, man, God set up some really good holidays for His people. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day of the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Now, it's not said here, but it is believed that the branches of the palm trees would be the very things that they would use to build the these booths or these tents that they would live in for seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. So this is like a week-long camping trip for with everyone. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. So if that is going way over your head, let's just recap it all here. I'm using, by the way, the Life Application Study Bible. I love this Bible. My friend Jeanette told me I had to get it. And so when we look here at the festivals, again, the Passover, this was when God spared the lives of Israel's firstborn children in Egypt, freed the Hebrews from slavery. And so this would remind the people of God's deliverance. It was one day of a celebration. Then right after that, Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days, this would celebrate or remember the exodus from Egypt and remind the people that they were leaving the old life behind and entering a new way of living. Feast of the first fruits or the first harvest. This would be one day where they would bring the first crops of the barley harvest. It would remind the people of how God provided for them. Then the Feast of Weeks or the Harvest or Pentecost, one day celebration. It would be at the end of the barley harvest and beginning of the wheat harvest. It showed joy and thanksgiving over the bountiful harvest. Then we have the Feast of Trumpets one day celebration. It was at the beginning of the seventh month and it expressed joy and thanksgiving to God. Then there was the Day of Atonement, which is on one day, the removal of sin from the people and the nation, and this would restore their fellowship with God. And then the Feast of Booths, or Shelters, was for seven days, and this was celebrating God's protection and guidance in the wilderness, and this would renew Israel's commitment to God and trust in His guidance and protection. So I'm going to print this out and put it into my Bible. This is where I got some of my other diagrams that I put in my Bible. Again, the Chronological Life Application Study Bible. I have this linked in my Amazon link. So now that we have a general understanding of what these feasts represented to the people of Israel, let's take a look at how they are prophetic. Starting here with the Sabbath day. Now we know that Jesus is our Sabbath. We find our rest in Jesus every single day because He finished the work on the cross and He is also our Passover. He is the reason why we are saved from the wrath of God because He took it on Himself. 
Then the Feast of Unleavened Bread speaks of Jesus's burial after his perfect and sinless sacrifice, meaning he was unleavened. And this is symbolic because his sacrifice was received by God as holy and complete. Then the Feast of the First Fruits, Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep meaning he is the first one to be resurrected to the heavenly glory. Now, there are other people who were resurrected from the dead, but they were resurrected to their earthly body once again. And then, of course, we know there were people like Elijah who were taken straight to heaven, but they didn't die first. So Jesus was the only one who died and who rose to his heavenly body. Then, of course, Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks, will be the time of the birth of the church. And this is when the leavened Gentiles are wel welcomed in. Because remember, there are two loaves of leavened bread that are waved before the Lord. But also after the Pentecost is where we see the harvest of souls take place. Then the Feast of Trumpets representing the rapture, because of course that will be ushered in by a blowing of the trumpet. But not only that is because it happens in the seventh month, which with the number seven marking completion, the rapture is said that it will not take place until the fullness or completion of the Gentiles, as spoken in Romans chapter 11, meaning there is somebody that we are waiting on to get saved so that Jesus can come back and take his church. And then once he does, of course, that will usher in the tribulation, which is what the Day of Atonement looks to because it is a time of affliction. And that is when Israel will begin to reflect inwardly and realize and accept Jesus as the Messiah, who they once rejected. Then we enter into the Feast of Booths, which will be the millennium when Jesus returns. Now, traditionally during this eight-day celebration, according to the Jewish Talmud, which is basically another set of laws, during the seven days, a priest would go to the pools of Siloam, which is the only area of fresh water within the walls of Jerusalem. And they would take a pitcher with them and they would get water and they would come back. And during the feast, they would pour out the water as a sign of God's provision of water during their time in the wilderness. So they would do this every day for seven days. And there's a lot that goes on with this. There's like a mandatory reading of the law. They will sing the Psalms. I believe it's uh, it's what's known as the Hallel. It's Psalms 113 through 121, I think. But there's a set song list. It's like their worship song list. And then on the eighth day, the priest would go to the Pool of Siloam, but he would come back with an empty pitcher. And as this was taking place in AD 32, with Jesus present at it, this was when he said on the eighth day, what was spoken in John chapter seven, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, which of course is him prophesying to the availability of the Holy Spirit to us once he ends up dying on that cross. He is that living water. We will never again be without. So if you ever glanced over the feast before, I hope that you find new meaning in it today. And I love it because these festivals were very different than the celebrations that surrounded them in the other nations. I mean, these were ordained by God and they were intended for rest, for reflection and refreshment. They were not to be drunken parties that ended with broken furniture and trash everywhere, nor were they watered down holidays with Easter bunnies and Christmas presents. No shade on Easter and Christmas. I love Easter and Christmas. But what I love the most is that while there are some days of solemn rest and affliction, there are even more days of celebration. And that tells me that in God's economy, joy outweighs sorrow. And the way to sourcing this joy again, is through a heart of gratitude, remembering what God has done and realizing where He is taking you. That was the whole purpose of these holidays. So if you were in a funk 
The best thing to do is increase the gratitude in your heart so that you can source more joy. So heart check, does the joy in your heart outweigh the sorrow? Is there a depletion of gratitude? Taking it a little bit deeper now, what are holy items that we deal with today? How can we get non-believers to respect these things? How might we profane what is sacred? What does purity in worship look like for us? What are practical ways that we can observe and celebrate what God has done? Why do you believe the Lord emphasized rest during these times of celebration? And how do each of these feasts reinforce the identity of the Israelites? So Heavenly Father, you are indeed worthy of our best worship. You are God Almighty, the one who saves, the one who delivers, the one who came and died so we could be set free. Thank you, Lord, for your perfect sacrifice. You are still so deserving today of all the praise and honor, just as you were back then. So I pray that we will offer nothing less than our best in everything that we do. I pray that we will offer you the best of our day, the best of our energy, and help us to look at others through your eyes and to love them with your heart. I pray that we give them the best of our kindness and our love. And forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have grown impatient or annoyed and spoke harshly or treated them with disrespect. We want to honor you with our thoughts and our words and our actions so that you can be glorified. Our obedience to you is part of our worship and honor. So I pray that we wear that openly for others to see. I pray that we don't defile your holiness by the way that we act. Help us to see what holy things we still carry today. And I pray that we will treat them with respect. I pray that we are able to maintain a purity so that we can be effective ministers. We know that we will hinder our own ability to hear from you and will block the flow of your spirit whenever we are harboring the sin of impurity. So I pray that we will all be washed clean by your blood today. Thank you, Lord, for making a way for every single person to be invited to your table and to partake in your offering. We are so grateful for the fellowship that is new to us every single day. May we wake up refreshed and ready to know you more so that at the end of this life, when we stand before you, we don't have to fight for our righteous standing. You will instead present us as your friend, one that you personally know. So thank you for even being willing to do that, Jesus. We are so thankful for your friendship. So help us to have hearts full of gratitude each and every day, being thankful for all things, big and small in our lives. We know that praise and thanksgiving are two of the best ways to resist the enemy as it reminds him of where he came from and will leave him shuddering. So if we want to fight depression or loneliness, hurt, anxiety, or worry, we know that we can do that by staying focused on what we have rather than what we lack. So we thank you, Lord, for being a God of joy and celebration. I pray that we are able to source that joy from a heart of gratitude. And thank you for the gift of work in our lives. For each of us, that looks so different, but we recognize that it is in your nature to work. And therefore, when we do, we are able to bear your image. So for anyone who may be dreading the workday tomorrow, please help us to see it for the gift that it is. Thank you, Lord, for your provision that you give us through it. And I pray that we will not run ourselves ragged, but we will be able to find rest in you and be refreshed each day and at the beginning of every week. Thank you also for the vision of the promised land. And while we sojourn through this life, gleaning on the edges of the harvest, we look forward to the day that we are able to enter in. I pray that we hold to that promise of not if, but when 
knowing that what is ahead of us is far greater than even our best day here on this earth. But while we're here, I pray that we make the best of it, honoring you and bringing joy to you as we live each day with grateful hearts, knowing that as we still breathe, we still have a greater purpose to serve. So we celebrate you today for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you are still going to do. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.